You're listening to The Deadly Dose, hosted by Harini Bott and Megan Gesner. What's up, Poison Pals? Welcome back to The Deadly Dose. We are back in action with some fresh content. And today, Harini is going to bless your ear holes with another (laughs) new story. Yes. Take it away, girl. Take it away. Ooh, take it away. Take it away now. Uh, This, (laughs) I have to, I don't know what that was. I have to send a shout out to Papa B. Papa B is making a return, not in the flesh. But through okay. his mind, he has Love sent the story <laughs> yes. to me. Whenever I talk to him on the phone, Poison Pals, he will always ask me, what story are you guys doing this week? He is an avid listener. He's an avid supporter. Aww. He is okay. our biggest fan, I think. So he is constantly sending me story ideas. And mm-hmm. ever since he was a wee little scientist, he yeah. subscribed to American Chemical Society Okay. And ACS. And they have a okay. fantastic monthly newsletter. It is so interesting. Even if you're not into science, I highly yeah. recommend. Actually, Megan, I will send them your way because they are chock full of stories, really yes. good ones too. So this is so this is them. the one this is what I was gonna ask. Is this the same newsletter <laughs> that um like keyed him into the story about those rival scientists in Texas? I know yes. that was a Texas monthly story ultimately, but that's the same no. that like got transferred. Okay, okay. So it is this news. That was not a – well, the rival one. Sorry. That was a Texas Monthly one that did not come Mm -hmm. from the ACS newsletter. Oh, okay. But the one I thought you were referring to was the kind of our Breaking Bad episode of the two scientists that were making meth in their lab. I definitely got them confused because I was like, I know he sent us a story that was about two scientists. Yeah. Then I got it confused with the Texas rival who done it versus the yeah these two scientists for sure were making meth in a yeah. university lab <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah so that did come yeah. from acs newsletter fantastic okay. stories really well-made newsletter if you guys are mm-hmm. interested and you like science or trying to get into it so this is a story that has come from there and it is going to be a tribute episode to a very brave and pioneering female scientist dr mm. karen wetterhan so okay. let's get into it Dr. Karen Wetterhan was a chemist at Dartmouth University, and she was just starting her career in 1976 as the first woman hired into a tenure-track position at the university. She is honestly a woman of many firsts in her field. Dr. Wetterhan's research focused on heavy metals, Mm -hmm. specifically on how heavy metal chromium damages DNA and can cause cancer. She was incredibly bright and very involved within and outside of academia, just a powerhouse scientist. Not only was she Dartmouth, Dartmouth's first chemistry professor, she mentored students and co-created the Woman in Science Project, which encouraged women to go into the sciences. She was the academic dean and received $7 million in a grant which, with which she started Dartmouth's Toxic Metals Research Program to investigate how heavy metals impact human health. And that may sound kind of an obvious thing to do. Like, obviously, heavy metals impact human health. But just remember the time that we're in. This was a relatively new field of research that people mm-hmm. were just diving into. 
Who knows what she would have accomplished because she died in 1997 from dimethylmercury poisoning after an exposure in her lab. So that's going to be the story I go into today. Almost 25 years ago to the day on August 14th, so seven days from now from the time that we're recording this, Mm -hmm. in 1996, Karen was in her lab working in a fume hood. It seemed to be just any other day in the lab. I realize not everyone's going to know what a fume hood is. Mm -hmm. Do you know what a fume hood is, Megan? I do, because now I work in a lab. (laughs) Yes, that's right. I figured you probably do Mm -hmm. now. For those who don't know, um, when you're working in a lab or even actually – in a pharmacy, in a hospital or clinic, when you're working with toxic chemicals, you want to work in what's called a fume hood. Mm -hmm. And you may have actually seen this in like TV or whatever, but it's basically like, it looks like this glass box with Mm -hmm. two little armholes. It can have two little armholes, but either way, there are armholes where you can put your hands through and the rest of you stays outside of that glass box. And that's how you handle and do like your wet lab work. It's almost like a bench, but it's a contained bench so Mm -hmm. that none of the vapors, the toxic vapors or anything like that can be exposed to the rest of the lab. Mm -hmm. I hope that was, that made sense. So (laughs) she was working in a fume hood and it seemed to be just any other day in the lab. She was at a point in her career where technically she wouldn't do wet lab work. Mm -hmm. She was, she was essentially like the PI of the lab, but this was a particular task that she wanted to do herself. Hmm. So she was wearing the correct PPE in the proper way, utilizing the fume hood correctly, wearing latex glove, whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. Karen's prepping solutions for some mercury experiments she planned to run the following week. So she draws up a small amount of the solution out of the vial and deposits it into this pencil thin test tube. And then she pipettes the rest into a screw top vial. Technique is perfect. Everything is going well. Mm. In the process of doing that, she spills two drops of dimethylmercury from her pipette onto her latex gloves. Mm. Karen doesn't think anything. It's it's the usual. So she calmly and immediately goes into action. She seals and labels the sample tube, peels off her gloves, and she leaves them in the fume hood, as she's supposed to, and vigorously washes her hand for 20 seconds. She resumes her normal work tasks, and later that day, she goes home to her husband and two kids. Nothing. Nothing's going on. In hindsight, what she should have done is gone straight to the emergency room because the dimethylmercury was already beginning its stealthy, slow journey Mm. into her blood and brain. Mm. The thing is, there's no way Karen could have known. I mean, how could she? She was wearing all the usual PPE. She and her colleagues work in a heavy metal lab. This is what they do on a daily basis. They are around and handling dangerous chemicals all the time. So ensuring the correct safety precautions was nothing new for them. She didn't have any exposed skin. Her eyes were protected with goggles. She was using proper technique in the fume hood. As I said, the fume hood itself was working fine. It was up to date on its regulations. No holes in her gloves. Basically, Mm. zero signs that would have alerted her to the fact that she had been exposed to the heavy metal. The poisoning process was super subtle and slow. Over the course of five months, Karen's usual, precise, and focused nature unraveled to a scientist who was stumbling into walls, Mm. slurring her speech. Is it usually in the safety steps where, let's say she's like, I did all my protocol correctly. I did every step correctly. I washed my Mm. hands after correctly, you know, taking my gloves off inside out inside the fume hood, Mm. all these steps. Would it make sense usually then for someone to go to the emergency room? 
if you know you've done every step correctly prior to that? No. And that's the thing. I, I would say I would probably go to the emergency room if I felt any kind of symptoms or if I saw evidence that I was like my bare skin was exposed somehow yeah. or I had breathed okay. in something and I was like – and I knew I breathed it in because I could smell it in my nose yeah, or yeah. something like that. Even right. then, I'd be like, uh, should I go? But considering the lab that they work in, the heavy metal mm-hmm. lab, I she she would definitely have gone to the ER, I think. Mm. But there was literally no signs or symptoms that anything was amiss. So for right. her – and again, it took five months for her to even show symptoms. Right, That's a long right. time. That's she was working properly. Time. Yeah. 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 Okay. So yes, and we will of course get to what happened. The how. So the how did it happen? The how yes. and the why. Soon Karen had to ask her husband to pick her up from work because she didn't feel well enough to drive herself home. Enough was enough. She finally admitted herself to the hospital where the neurologist explained to her that her symptoms, nausea, weight loss, imbalance, speech issues can be due to mercury exposure, which she Mm kind of was like, makes sense. Yeah. She works in a heavy toxic metal lab. She probably is like, I understand these symptoms. Yes. She understands these symptoms. And of course, she let the doctors know, I work in a heavy metal lab and I this happened. So yeah. they're like, yeah, of course, <laughs> it, it all lines up. Mm-hmm. So they rush her urine samples to the toxicology lab for testing to get confirmation of this theory. Mm-hmm. Preliminary reports confirmed it was mercury toxicity. And so, sort of simultaneously, she continues to deteriorate. Karen's having mm-hmm. issues with her hearing now and her eyesight. Oh. Meanwhile, more test results come in showing severe mercury toxicity. A clinical pharmacist, Dr. David Nirenberg, treated her with chelation therapy. Essentially, Mm -hmm. each day Karen would ingest a medication that acted like a magnet. And it, it, well, she would basically ingest this medication and it would attract any heavy metals in her body and permanently bind to it, flushing it out of the body. Mm -hmm. So that would be like the standard treatment. Mm -hmm. Once the news was confirmed that she did have mercury exposure, Karen's lab was closed, effective immediately for safety purposes. Karen's family and her colleagues at the lab were all tested for mercury toxicity, but thankfully everyone was in the clear. So after that, the college brought in an industrial hygiene firm to test all surfaces in the lab for more exposure. They tested the lab, her office, her car, her home. Basically, anything Karen may have touched was tested, Mm -hmm. including like doorknobs, you know, the whole thing. The only place mercury was found was the screw-on vial of dimethylmercury that Karen mm. used that day, and that was in the fume hood. Right. So it, there's no way it would have you know, exposed anyone because she left it in there. Right. The dimethylmercury was now blitzing through her bar- body at an alarming rate. One by one, her senses began to shut down, her hearing, her vision. She struggled to speak. But with whatever strength she could muster, she urged her colleagues, Wynn and Nirenberg, to do everything possible to alert the scientific community about mm-hmm. the dangers of dimethylmercury. Mm-hmm. So on February 6th, just three weeks after Karen first started to develop symptoms, she slips into a coma. Wow. It was at this point that her lab knew that they're not going to see her again. Her yeah. colleagues recall how, in a strange way, it was sort of a relief to know what was going on because – from their perspective and from Karen's perspective, something was going on for five months, but they didn't know what, right? So now right. they could put their finger on it. But in the same space of that thought, they were horrified knowing that the damage to their friend was irreversible and fatal. Yeah. What's even worse, they said, was that Karen 
knew all of this. She was a fantastic heavy metal toxicologist. This was literally her life's work to understand how heavy metals impact human health. So she was painstakingly aware of what the mercury was doing to her body. I feel like that's kind of the curse and cure of being in healthcare is sometimes Mm -hmm. you know too much about your own field and Mm -hmm. it's it's a little bit painful. Like when you do get an old age or something does happen to you, mm-hmm. it adds like this level of knowing that you wish you didn't know, you know? Right. right. When this was all going on, no one really understood why it happened. So Megan, mm-hmm. great question. Why is this happening? Because they are just as confused as you are. Mm-hmm. She took all the necessary safety precautions that people in the industry working with heavy metals, had been doing for years. And I'm talking Mm -hmm. like 100 years. So what went wrong? It was clear, no matter what, that the safety protocols needed to be reevaluated. Her colleague, Wynn, said, quote, we were having professional shock. She was doing routine manipulations, and this happened to her. Karen was the lead of the lab and was extremely careful, skilled, qualified, yet this still happened. So another colleague, Russell Hughes, goes on to say, quote, and if it could happen to her, it could happen to any one of us. Like, we have to get to the bottom of this. Right. What no one realized at the time was that latex gloves were no match to dimethylmercury. So that was the culprit, were her gloves. And this is really interesting and I guess a little bit timely. I'm kind of thinking back to my work right now because – We get questions like this all the time. In fact, we're talking about this right now where providers will message us and ask us, how how should we handle this medication? Because I work in oncology. So a lot of these, pretty much any medication has to come with a way and instructions of how to handle it. So Mm -hmm. for example, like Tylenol, we can handle with our bare hands. It's not toxic, obviously, Mm -hmm. like it's over the counter, whatever. But for chemo medications, there's a very strict procedure on how you would handle such medications because you that person that's handling it is putting themselves at risk. Like it's chemo, right. it's poison right. basically in a way. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, so it's just interesting. Like we get questions like that. How is it handled? If we, the question that we got specifically is if this medication is spilled, what should we do? Right. Which is a fantastic question, obviously given this scenario. So for any chemical compound and medication, et cetera, there, ne- there needs to be instructions on how to handle the substance. Should you be wearing goggles, gloves, is it okay to handle with bare hands? And if you do need gloves and goggles, what kind? These are all mm-hmm. questions that come up. So for a chemistry lab, you would consult what is called material safety data sheets or MSDS, which Megan, mm-hmm. you're probably familiar with, mm-hmm. which are required and provided by the chemical manufacturer and or supplier. So let's go through the MSDS for the dimethylmercury that Karen was using in the fume lab that day. There's a company called Alpha Asar, I think is how you say it, the chemical supplier that Karen bought the dimethylmercury from. Mm -hmm. And they say they recommend using rubber gloves. Okay, Okay. that's one. Then there's Organometallics, the company that actually made the dimethylmercury. Mm -hmm. And they recommend gloves made of synthetic rubber neoprene. So that's a whole different thing. Okay. Let's do a third one. So Sigma Aldrich, a very popular chemical supplier, which produced a third MSDS on the substance, recommend wearing, quote, chemically impervious gloves. There's no such thing as chemically impervious gloves. What does that mean? (laughs) I mean, I know what all those words mean together, but like how does that differentiate from what the other two listed? Like what are the specifics? I mean, I don't know what that means, you know? Exactly. Like if I read that, I'd be like, 
where do I buy that? Right. <laughs> you know, like, is, that's is all it I need sold to know. like that? Like, is that yeah. how it's listed in the cart? Like, chemically impervious <laughs> gloves. gloves. Yeah. Exactly. And so, essentially, no glove can be 100% impermeable, especially it, no, no matter what, it's going to differ depending on what chemical you're working with as well. So, right. to just have like a one size fits all glove is not going to work here. So that I we just went through that whole exercise to to just prove the point that there's not like a standardized system. What this tells me is no one actually knows what to do. Like maybe yeah. they haven't tested it properly or they're just like they don't realize how dangerous it can be. Mm-hmm. So once their colleague once her colleague saw that they were like, "Okay, like we have to figure this out." Right. The lab took every single precaution possible, but what they didn't do was test the different types of gloves beforehand to see mm. how they fared against dimethylmercury. To be fair, I don't think that's their job. That should be no. the manufacturer's job the manufacturer. because they're the ones – right. They're the ones creating these safety data sheets, so they need to be the ones to do it. This is – might be offensive to some people, but this is the reality <laughs> of how we test things. I'm like, how hard yeah. is it? To like just take a little glove test material and put it on a little Correct. rat hand and then <laughs> put put the little <laughs> diethylmercury on the glove to see you know what I'm like like I don't you think don't, that's that hard. You don't even have to do that. You don't yeah. don't even need like real like skin or whatever yeah, or yeah. A, you just need to see if it bio bleeds you through, just need, right? Correct. You just need to see does it <laughs> have a sizzling gaping hole in the right. glove? Yes or no. Here here I am so quick to be like let's test some rats. <laughs> like you're like putting the rat hand into the light like come on, just a little bit further. <laughs> Now we we joke about this a lot, poison pals. But I'm thinking of the Shrek scene with the gingerbread man. I'm like, just a little drop. <laughs> exactly. Okay. But yeah, that's- it's just sugar, hot sugar water. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, <clears throat> I definitely think that's on the yes. manufacturers. And I agree. So the lab decides to do that themselves. They reach out to OSHA to do permeability testing. So they mm-hmm. send seven types, some different types of disposable gloves for analysis. And the results are shocking. Oh, God. None of them work. <laughs> None of them work. No, they don't. None of them work. That's correct. Okay. okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just feel like I know how these things go. I'm going to be like, that'll yes. pass a permeability test. Yeah. So when I was reading this, I was like, it's not that shocking. Like, I don't expect any of them to right. stand up to this very toxic heavy metal. But mm-hmm. here we go. So dimethylmercury permeated through latex gloves in 15 seconds or less, possibly mm-hmm. even instantaneously. Mm-hmm. All the others failed at a similar lightning quick rate. The only glove that sort of worked was this special multi-layer plastic laminate glove that provided more than four hours of protection before the chemicals seeped in. So like I said, nothing is 100%, but four Mm -hmm. hours is plenty of time and you're probably going to, you're not going to spend four hours or more than four hours doing an experiment. So for these types of purposes, that will do the trick. Yeah. So her colleagues, Blaney, Wynn, and Nirenberg, they rushed to warn the scientific community of their findings. Mm-hmm. So in the May 12th, 1997 edition of the American Chemical Society's Weekly Magazine, which mm-hmm. is where this came from, Chemical and Engineering News, they published Karen's tragic story as well as the results of the glove test mm-hmm. with the conclusion of, you must wear, quote, a highly resistant laminate glove called Silver Shield or 4H under a mm-hmm. pair of long-cuffed neoprene nitrile or similar heavy duty gloves so you're wearing two sets of gloves pretty much two heavy duty gloves 
And this information was reposted across the internet all over the world. It was scary for the scientific community to not know that only a few months ago, two drops, just two drops of this mm-hmm. substance was enough to kill, even with all safety precautions. Right. And everyone that's been working with this particular chemical or similar chemicals are just running around using regular rubber, right. whatever, the special type of rubber gloves. You know what I mean? They're probably like, yeah, I was close, you know? Yeah, exactly. So her colleague Sugden recounts, quote, I looked at the amount of dimethylmercury left in the vial after the transfer, and I assumed there was no way she could have gotten enough of it on her. I thought the poisoning was from her previous work with mercury salts. That's how much was left. Like, I mean, of course, now we know two drops, you wouldn't see any change in the vial, but mm-hmm. that's all it took. It did yeah. take a while, I would say like five, six months, but still it killed her. Before we get into the rest of the episode, if you've been enjoying our content so far, please go rate and review us wherever you might be listening from, or don't. Just keep on hanging with us. All right, on to the rest of the episode. So I would say that's the story portion, but let's get into the toxicology, which is still kind of mixed in with the story. All mercury is toxic, but each formulation has differing levels of toxicity. For example, which I didn't realize this, you can hold the silver, silvery liquid mercury in your hand and nothing will happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. That's something that like, um, <laughs> I feel like you see sometimes in high school chemistry classes. Like, yeah. It's just like a fun thing to see and it like melts in your hand sort of thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. I The thing is, I knew that was something that they don't do in schools anymore because it's still incredibly toxic. So I was like, I always thought oh. it was be- the handling. <laughs> See, I didn't know that. That's that's I mean, I've never held it, but in my head I've like I've definitely seen that in school. Yeah. Like totally. in, in in like high school education. Like, look at you can yeah. hold it. <laughs> Dude, okay, I knew that was a thing because I remember being bummed out that my elementary school or whatever didn't allow us to do that. So then I remember trying to break our thermometer at home so I could oh. play with it. <laughs> so Yes, it is highly toxic, which is why it's not in schools anymore. And here's why. It's not the actual liquid that is mm-hmm. toxic. Like, it's not going to seep into your hand or anything like that, as mm-hmm. as you mentioned, Megan. The danger with liquid mercury is the vapor that comes off of the, mm-hmm. the liquid, mm-hmm. which you don't see. It's a colorless, like many of our toxins, like it's colorless, mm-hmm. which is why if you have a broken thermometer, it, which is why when you have a broken thermometer back in the day, you seal up in a plastic bag to seal in those vapors. Uh, okay. And this is just like a side note. I don't know if people have had this experience before, if you've broken a th- thermometer and have had to like seal it up in that way. But what people used to do back in the day is they would vacuum the mm. area to vacuum in the vapors. Mm. Um, but that actually doesn't work. And that goes for anything that has like volatile poisonous smell to it or uh, vapors, you don't mm-hmm. want to vacuum because it actually helps to disperse the vapors more. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't actually suck it up. So just a point, uh, a tip, a tip mm-hmm. tidbit for you guys. Okay. Mercury dye, which is used in electronic devices, often have contamination waste that enters our waterways, which we talked about in Megan's two-parter, which the fish ingest, and then that, that can cause mercury poisoning in humans that consume those fish. It's important to note that we're all exposed to a certain level of mercury just by being alive, Mm -hmm. but it never gets to a level where it becomes toxic unless, of course, you're in direct contact or have an exposure. So let's talk about these levels. A typical mercury concentration in our bodies is about 10 micrograms per liter of blood or even less. Mm -hmm. 
Once that level reaches 50 micrograms per liter, that is the toxic threshold where you want to begin chelation therapy. Mm-hmm. Then you jump to 200 micrograms per liter. That's toxic, but not necessarily lethal. Karen had 4,000 micrograms per liter in her blood wow. at the time from two wow. drops. And that is wow. 80 times the toxic threshold, not the baseline, yeah. the threshold. And that's from two, like I said, two drops of yeah. the dimethylmercury that went from her that dropped on her glove and then went yeah. through her hand. Got it. It's not even like she ingested it accidentally in her right. mouth or like through right. like an orifice. You know what I mean? Right, right. That kind of blows my mind now that I'm like talking about it out loud because it, I can understand how two drops of mercury could kill you even as slowly as it did if it like went in your eye or your mouth or your, you, in your nose, right? Yeah. But your skin is supposed to be a very good barrier to mm-hmm. all kinds of things. It, mm-hmm. to, to break that barrier – without like an open wound or sore or something, that's that's toxic. Chemistry professor Dean Wilcox describes it as this, quote, on a scale of one to 10, dimethylmercury was a 15. It was full on off the charts. But people still wanted to work with dimethylmercury even mm. after Karen's incident. They were willing to put in the extra effort to be safe. Mm-hmm. But why? Why do people value this compound so much that they – even knowing her story that she got killed from this, they still want to work with this compound. Yeah. Because it happens to be invaluable in research and still is, mm. especially for cancer research, because dimethylmercury binds to cells and disrupts their function. So mm. you'd be able to basically juxtapose a normal cell and then pinpoint which part of the cell structure the toxin in this question, dimethylmercury, binds to. And by mm. pinpointing which part of the cell structure it disrupts, you can learn how to prevent that from happening. So what Karen's lab did is they would use NMR spectroscopy to understand how damage to proteins can cause cancer. So what you do is shine radio frequencies at the sample to excite the molecules and see how the different molecules react. This translates onto the NMR machine as different peaks. Mm-hmm. It's like kind of like finding the FM frequency of a molecule. Mm-hmm. So, and when you compare the peaks to the standard, each peak represents a change in cell structure. And the NMR standard for mercury compounds is dimethylmercury. And this is why the scientific community was so shocked because dimethylmercury has been in use for almost 100 years at this point with mm-hmm. little to no issue. No one has died from dimethylmercury like this. Like other people have died from it because like, for example, when it was first discovered, they weren't using a fume hood, for example. So they were like fully exposed, but it has never, no one has ever died or had exposure like this, even without dying on this level. It's, it's just not been seen before. So everyone was like, there's no way that it could be toxic. There's no way. I am such a skeptic. I'm like, there must have been instances that maybe weren't reported, maybe sure. swept under the rug. But I, sure, sure. I just feel like it's it's such a long time for no other accidents to happen. But it's not yeah. impossible. You know what I mean? I just, it's a crazy yeah. story. It's it's definitely incredibly unfortunate and super crazy. If mm-hmm. she was the first instance that, like, she's the reason why you, we, they now know how toxic it is and. Like that, you need this extra, these specific types of gloves and all that. But um, right, uh, yeah, that's just so weird. I, it I just know. seems yeah. very improbable. Yeah. I, I'm totally Super on the improbable. same page with you. Yeah, <clears throat> because makes me feel even worse for her. I know. 
to me, it's a freak accident, you know, because all the data was in her favor, essentially. In the past hundred years, she did everything right. All the data was in her favor. There was no reason to feel at risk. Completely. It's just a wild, wild case. Mm -hmm. And I almost feel like, (laughs) and we talk about this a lot, it, it was almost like it had to happen this way because I'm trying to think through, like, for example, if her or anyone in her lab, for that matter, mm-hmm. were to get an accidental exposure, like perhaps like they just for a split second, just like were not very present in their mind and mm-hmm. accidentally took the dimethylmercury vial out of the fume hood, for example, and caused an exposure that way. Or they accidentally mm-hmm. dropped the vial and it went all over the hand. Like those right. are certain scenarios where you're like, oh, I clearly have been exposed right. and I need to go, you know, get help or whatever. Right, right, right. right. If that was the case, for example – and that was written out because all of this stuff technically should be documented, mm-hmm. I, I'm assuming. I know we have to do that in the hospitals, but let's say all that is documented and that was the exposure. exposure. Like It was very clear and evident exposure. Mm-hmm. There's no way it would make headlines. Why? Right. Because it's obvious. It's like, oh, that's understandable. Of course you got exposed. Of course you got sick. Of course you right. may have died. That's right. why. It had to happen this way because she did everything right. It doesn't mm-hmm. make sense. It forced the issue to be like, we have to get to the bottom of this. And it really changed the course of how we do our experiments, especially in the fume hood. It, it's mm. not just heavy metals. We're doing this for for everything, anything right. that is considered quote unquote toxic. We're not right. going to take any um, chances. Mm. We're going to double up. We're going to double glove. That's like a current procedure. I'm sure you even know from your mm. labs, if it's something toxic, we got to double glove. We got to mm. put the goggles, whatever. So it really had to happen unfortunately had to happen this mm. way for change to happen yeah kind of going off of what you said megan many chemists reached out after the incident to say that they had no idea that dimethylmercury was toxic and they were incredulous like, it can't be there would have been more cases if it was so everyone's in the same boat as you Megan. they're like there's no way we, we've been used for 100 years nothing nothing's happened but it, it is true it's ha- it's right. happened it's fact so now it's about how do we move forward Hmm. And uh, Megan, you're talking about how you feel sorry for Karen. You're about to feel even more sorry for her. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> the story is not happy. I'm sorry, boys, pals. Okay. okay. So what Karen was doing in the fume hood that day in the lab was prepping dimethylmercury as a standard sample for future NMR experiments. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, Karen didn't want to use dimethylmercury. She refused. She, her and her colleague Sugden discussed it and felt that dimethylmercury was too risky. So they Mm. initially opted for a mercury salt to be their standard. Mm -hmm. And that's what they did. They opted for safety over efficacy. They got the mercury salt standard ready to go and ran a few NMR tests, but the numbers didn't look quite right to Karen. And they concluded that the mercury salt, or the reason that the numbers weren't quite right was because Mm -hmm. the mercury salt was an inaccurate standard. Because, Mm -hmm. of course, dimethylmercury is... The current standard in the industry. So they looked at each other and they were like, it has to be dimethylmercury. Mm. So that day in the lab, she Karen preps the dimethylmercury sample for her standard when those two drops fall on her glove and you know the rest. Mm-hmm. So after prepping the standard and after the two drops spill, she wash, washes herself up as we talked about, but she doesn't tell anyone right away what happened because mm. to her, she was like, it's no big deal. Like she couldn't see anything. Like nothing mm-hmm. was on her gloves because it's so volatile, right? It mm-hmm. immediately dissipated or evaporated. Mm-hmm. 
they continue their NMR tests as planned. And sure enough, the dimethyl mercury produced reliable results. Hmm. But what it also revealed, ironically, was that the alternative standard, the mercury salts, ended up being dead on accurate as well. So in hindsight, there was no need for Karen to have ever used the dimethyl mercury. But of course, they wouldn't have known that until they ran the sample against the industry standard. Wait, so the the mercury salts, they just the results just showed up later, or they needed to do the comparison to just ensure that they both looked good. Correct. So basically, okay. they yes. So basically, okay. they used the dim- the mercury salt as the standard sample mm-hmm. for the NMR test. But mm-hmm. when they ran it, Karen felt just like on mm-hmm. gut instinct, she felt like, yeah. uh, this looks off. Like I think it's because it's not technically industry's the, the industry standard sample. So yeah. she's like, I think we have to use dimethylmercury. Let's just not risk it. So yeah. she does the dimethylmercury and they run the NMR test. And they still have the results from the mercury mm-hmm. salts that they did the previous week. And mm-hmm. they're able to basically compare and and they're both like, it's it, it's pretty it's much the exactly the same. It's okay. the same. Yeah. It was actually fine. Mm. So, but at, at that point, the damage, of course, had already been done. Yeah. That's too bad. She was being thorough. <sighs> yeah. So we're, we're finishing up here, but just a little, a few words on Karen herself. Karen was a wonderful scientist. She was an early path paver for her work in chromium carcinogenesis. Only 10 to 20 people in the world at that time had her credentials. Hmm. Karen never got mad if other people in the scientific community used her studies or published works without permission or regard to copyright considerations where others would be offended, especially Hmm. in the scientific world. She would laugh, and she felt like it's an honor for them to be using my work. I work hard for this. I'm glad that it's being shared. Yeah. Through and through, Karen was always about furthering science and not her ego, and that's saying something in a field where ego is often the name of the game. Mm. So we'll end on a quote from her. She says, sometimes it's hard to predict the long-term consequences of doing something. You don't always have the knowledge you need. You just have to make your best judgment. Mm. 25 years have gone by since she passed, but it's imperative to let her story not die with her. This is a really, really important example, not just like science, but an example of her, of how much she made sure that this information got out there, even like in her last like dying week. Mm-hmm. So yes, rest in peace, Karen Wetterhand. Yeah. So during yeah. during the time where she recognized that she was getting sick and they discovered the cause and all that, she started to kind of um, spread the education. Like she used yeah. her story okay, as a way to teach yeah. people about this. Okay, She was very yeah. clear. Like she kept urging them even before things – obviously before she went into a coma, but she, as soon as mm-hmm. she felt like, oh – things are starting to go downhill. She knows what's going to happen yeah. to her. So she's like, I need to tell everyone, all my colleagues, she told the pharmacist that was working with her, mm-hmm. tell everyone. If you can get anyone you know, let them know, alert the scientific community, share yeah. my story. Let's get to the bottom of this because we cannot have anyone hap- – we can't have this happen to anyone else. Right. She was very integral to that. Right, right. I mean, I don't know what you what you've learned or what you saw in your research for this episode mm. um, in terms of how far the studies have come today. I know you told us a little bit about like the toxicity, um, yeah. But like, given that she was the outlier in a hundred years for this to happen yeah, to, right? It's true. How much of this do you feel like 
potentially is an individual basis? Or is there enough studies to this day that it's like, for sure, this X amount is hyper lethal? Mm. You know what I mean? It's not an right. individual basis. There is an average, like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have not done the current research, the current mm. studies on that. Um, I'm sure there are. But I know, like, in, in general consensus, like from the the, the sources that I have, mm-hmm. it's now common knowledge. Let's say that this right. is extremely lethal. That right. even a drop, not even two drops, even a drop mm-hmm. can do this to you. I, I did have thoughts like maybe it was the way that it was manufactured at the time. Maybe it was like mm-hmm. more potent somehow, or I don't know, more concentrated. Right. And maybe they've quote unquote watered it down since then, or yeah. they just upped the safety measures. That is something I would have to to look into a little bit more. Right, right. To confirm. Yeah, I just I I'll you know, I take the story as it is and it's um like incredibly sad, but part of me is like there's just gotta be so many I I, I know feel like there's, there's other lots variables. Of questions. There's yep. other variables besides it just being the gloves permeability. You know, I feel like that's yeah. too simple of a thing, but sometimes that's how it works. But I just it's just weird. Like and it's too bad. Yeah. That's all. It's weird because it's like there can't and she was very skilled. It wasn't like she, mm-hmm. this was her first day at the lab working ever in a lab. I'm sure people much less experienced than her have accidentally spilled something. But mm-hmm. I will say, and I'm not super familiar with lab procedures, especially when dealing with very toxic substances. I do assume that you have to be of a certain level of experience to handle certain substances. So it right. could just be that the people doing these experiments or just skilled enough where they didn't make mistakes, where they didn't yeah. spill anything. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Honestly, who knows? Yeah. Um, so I, I agree. That's actually a good point. So maybe I will do that research. And when we come back, I can yeah. update y'all. Yeah, sounds good. I, I And there might not be any updates or answers and everything is as it is. I am just someone who loves a good mystery. And I'm like, I'm yes. not satisfied. Not satisfied yep. with this. But I'll just have to take it as it is. Anyways, <laughs> that's a really great story. Yeah, Papa B coming through with those recommendations. For real. Okay, For yeah, real. send it our way. I'm really glad I got a chance to learn about Karen Wetterhahn. Um, it's cool to learn about women's in science that mm-hmm. you know I've never had the opportunity to hear their names before. Sometimes yeah, that's because same. I'm just not in that particular industry. But um, yep. yeah, thanks for bringing that to the forefront. Absolutely. And Papa B. Yep. Sounds Let's go cool. into antidotes. Yeah. Let's um, do it. My antidote today is that my lovely sister, Manira, is visiting me. She just Yay. came in today and she just, during this recording, <laughs> brought me some ice cream. So I cannot so wait to get off and eat that ice cream. <laughs> Yummy. Um, but that's pretty much it. I'm excited to have her Love here it. for a full week. We're just going to be chilling. So nice. And be sisterly bonding. Yeah. Sister, sister time. Sister, yeah. sister. Gotta go to the beach, do some beach walks. (laughs) Yes, lots of beach time. For sure. Love it. Great, great. We love that Manira's here. My antidote is actually all of today. I had, so this morning, I just woke up this morning and was like, I want to go on a run, which if you know me, I do mm. not run because I oh. hate running. And running sucks. I it sucks. It's so boring for me. It's really boring for me. And I also especially hate, especially hate running outside. So oh, yeah. I don't know what behooved me, but I had this <laughs> feeling that I was like, I want to run outside. And I, Dave is like a big runner. So I was like, yeah. you know, it'd be nice to like do something that he likes to do. So right, I was like, right. okay, like, why don't we run together? And yeah. he was like, his eyes look. He's like, yeah, let's go. Yeah. So 
I haven't run outside in a long time. So I was kind of like a creaky old man. But when we were outside, we ran. We ran for two and a half miles, almost three nice. miles. Nice. And it was good. It felt good to be outside again. And like we ran by a lake. It was a beautiful day. And then nice. afterwards, we went to the Burlingame farmer's market and mm-hmm. picked up some fresh vegetables and herbs. And then we made like an heirloom tomato sandwich mm-hmm. for lunch. And it was just Wonderful. delicious. So really good so day. Good. Yeah. After, a very wholesome like, day. <laughs> oh, it's totally wholesome. And I just know like I absolutely hate running too. I do it. Um, sometimes I'll get in like really good jaunts for a month mm-hmm. of running and mm-hmm. then I just don't do it again. And anyway, <laughs> yeah. that's besides the points. But I know that after a run like that where you're like, I, this is something that I hate, but I got through it. And you even did a long run for somebody mm-hmm. who hates running. Yeah, um, I consider that long, like, you know, three, it is long. It's, it's long a 5k essentially, right? Like, yeah. that's, that's like, great. It's probably so satisfying to have finished that and then have yep. like an, a day where you're still like active and walking yes. in the farmer's market and having your like a fresh meal, like totally it feels good. I wish I was there. I wish I was part of that, to be honest. I know. It was really nice. And uh, it's true. You get runner's high. Those endorphins are released. Mm -hmm. So it just sets a good tone for the rest of your day, I will say. So yeah, yeah, that's my antidote. Great. All right, Harini, take us away. Oh, man, this is a sad one. I don't even know how to close this one out. So I'll say don't risk it for that weak, thin latex biscuit. (laughs) Hell no. In, in all forms, in all forms. Yes. Wonderful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Poison Pals. Talk to you later. Bye.